Hi, and welcome to the Pine Ridge House Sermon Podcast. We are a church located in Calgary, Alberta, where the Bible is our standard for all faith and practice. Thank you for joining us today. All right, so what are we looking at here this morning? We're in our final week of our three-week series on the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men. And this morning, it's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's all about the cross of Christ. And for most of you here this morning, you're going to be hearing verses and passages and an explanation of something that you've already committed to. You've already been committed, committed your lives to Jesus Christ. But there may be some others here who this may be the first time you've heard this kind of a description of God. The message of Jesus is not complicated. It's really, it's really straightforward. It's a straightforward message on how we are to be rightly related with the God of the universe. Now, as Christians, we know this, but there are still some who, um, who um, think that we have to say the message in just the right way. We have to get just the right illustration. We have to present it in just the right sequence. And if you don't do it that way, then there's no point in sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And as a result, uh, some of us become paralyzed and we don't share Jesus with other people because we think it's got to be done in a very specific way. But the exact opposite is what Paul is saying here. He says here in verse 2, I determined to know uh, nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That is the whole message of Jesus Christ. That's it. And anyone here who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, by the fact that you are a follower of his, you can now share that with other people. Remember the, uh, the woman at the well, when she met Jesus for the first time, and she ended up becoming a follower of his. And as a result, after she met him and she was all excited what Jesus had done, she goes back into the city and she tells everybody. And as a result, all kinds of people become believers. And then Jesus eventually comes back and they say, it's no longer because of the woman that we believe. Now we've seen you. But the point is, is that this woman who just become a follower of Jesus, immediately she goes back to the city and she tells everybody. <laughs> Why? Because she took evangelism 101. No, she had met Jesus. She'd given her life to him, and so she knew how to do it. It's a very simplistic message. And Paul, in the midst of all these philosophers and all this creativity and craftiness and their intellect, and as they're all sharing their philosophies, Paul says, I just, I just came to you and just, I wanted you to know just this one simple message. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he says there in verse 1, When I came to your brethren, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming you the testimony of God. That's not what he was doing. It's not how you put it all together, how you the wrapping. If you don't wrap it quite quite well enough, it's not going to be good enough. Paul says, I didn't do that. It's just about Christ and him crucified. Further down in verse four, he says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. I don't need to persuade you. It's about the cross of Christ and what the Spirit of God does when we share his message with other people. God gets to work. And we all know this from our own testimony when God got to work in our own lives. It's not about some kind of skillful presentation. It's not about powerful miracles. We talked about that last week. And it's certainly not about judgment. It's not about judgment. For those who understand the Muslim God, when you die, you will meet before this God and he is going to judge you. On the things you've done right and the things you've done wrong. But it's all about judgment. This is not the message of Jesus Christ. This is not why he came. In fact, John uh, chapter 3 and verse 17 says this. 
God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Jesus coming to this earth was all about a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission for humanity. And central to that message is Jesus and him on the cross. And everyone everywhere needs to hear this message more than anything else. And so for Paul, when he says, I claim to know nothing else among you, it's not that he didn't know other things. He's just saying, that's all you needed to know. That's all anybody ever needs to know. It's about Jesus and him crucified. This is the central message in the Bible. And all throughout the Bible, it either looks forward to the cross from the Old Testament, or it looks back or it looks at the cross in the Gospels, or it looks, uh, it looks back to the cross in, in Paul's writings um, after that. But it's all, about the, it's all about the message of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. In the predictive way, uh, in the Old Testament, there was um, uh, verse after verse, passage after passage that was speaking about this coming Messiah. And he was going to come on this earth and he was going to redeem all humanity. There are 60 major prophecies regarding God coming to the earth in the Messiah. The Jesus event is the event of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, the predictive prophecies concerning him were incredibly specific, incredibly specific, not generalized. They were incredibly specific. He'd be born of a virgin in a small town called Bethlehem. Only a thousand people lived there. That he'd be betrayed by a friend for exactly 30 pieces of silver and on and on and on. When it gets to his death, it describes his death as his hands and his feet being pierced when there was no such thing as crucifixion at that time. The prophecies were incredibly detailed long before this ever happened. But up until 1947, the skeptics did not believe it. Before 1947, skeptics used to say that the Bible predicted stuff that already happened. It wasn't a prediction at all. And they said this because the oldest manuscripts we had at this time were written 900 years after Jesus was on the planet. Of course, it spoke historically and uh, um, from humanity, the creation of humanity all the way through. That's what the Bible spoke of. But in terms of dating the manuscripts we had, none of them dated before the time of Jesus Christ. So skeptic says, well, this is really easy. What you do is you talk about predictive prophecy after it's already happened. So that's, that's what you guys have really done. But then something happened amazing in 1947. They, find Bible, they found Bible manuscripts that were dated before the time of Jesus. Now, to illustrate this, uh, I want to talk to you about The Simpsons. And uh, I know that's what we're doing. We're talking about The Simpsons this morning. Um, 17 years before it ever happened, there was an episode in The Simpsons that predicted Donald Trump would be president. And for those of you who watched it, you, you probably were quite amazed. It was, uh, I think it was done in the year 2000. I've never seen the episode, but you can go and look it up and I'm sure you could watch it. Donald Trump became president in 2017, but the episode in the year 2000 showed Donald Trump as already being president. Now, the writers of the episode did not mean this in any kind of a predictive way. They meant it as a spoof because they saw the U.S. going in such a spiral downward. They said, it's probably going to get to the point where Donald Trump's president. So they wrote it as a joke. They didn't actually think it would happen. But imagine that they, they didn't write it as a joke. 
Let's imagine for a minute that uh, the writers of this Simpsons episode, they were writing it as predictive. They were predicting what was going to happen. And not only did Donald, would Donald Trump become president, imagine that they wrote about uh, a wall being built between the US and Mexico and 40% tariffs uh, on China for the, the trade war that he would eventually do or shutting down travel because there was this, there was this coronavirus or topping it all off with the storming of the White House after he was defeated. Imagine, imagine if that was the episode. I'd imagine that it would get your attention a whole lot more than Donald Trump just becoming president. This is similar to what happened in 1947. One afternoon, there was a shepherd boy, and he was out uh, taking care of his sheep, and he threw, there was these caves, and he threw a rock into the cave trying to find one of the sheep that he lost, and it smashed because he hit a piece of pottery inside the cave. This led to the discovery of 1,500 scrolls or fragment of scrolls found in the caves all over that region. And many of the scrolls were of the Bible. Up until that time, the earliest scrolls were dated 900 years after Jesus was on the earth. But these scrolls were dated 150 years before he came on the earth. The, the, the methodology of using, uh, of dating it was through archaeology, paleography, uh, orthography, and of course, carbon-14 dating. They said these, these manuscripts are, are 150 years before Jesus ever came on the planet. And one of the key scrolls in there was from Isaiah. And if you unrolled this scroll, it would be 24 feet long. And uh, it's about 11 inches high, 24 feet long. And if you go to Jerusalem now, into the Jerusalem Museum, you can actually see this. Any of you can. You can all go into Jerusalem and you can see it in the Jerusalem Museum. Although I wouldn't recommend you go these days as there's missiles flying around and stuff like this. In fact, you can't get in there. But I, actually, I have heard LL Airlines, it's the um, airlines of the is, uh, Israeli airlines, they actually have anti-missile uh, technology on their planes. So you can fly in their planes and you can feel safe because you've got the anti-missile. If that makes you feel safe and you want to go and see it in Jerusalem, you can do this. Take a selfie, say you, you wish we were all there, and you could go see this scroll. 24 feet long, it's right there. I've seen it, I've taken pictures with it as well. Isaiah chapter 53, of course, is in Isaiah, in this scroll. And there's a clear prediction of the events surrounding the coming Jesus, or the coming Messiah, rather, who we know as Jesus. Here's how it reads on the Jerusalem scroll, and here's how it reads also in your Bibles in Isaiah 53. I'm just going to read it for you. It was the will of the Lord that his servant should grow like a plant, taking root in dry ground. He had no dignity or beauty to make us take notice of him. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing that would draw us to him, he was despised and rejected. We, we despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain and no one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. But he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. All the while we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. All of us like sheep were lost, each of us going his own way, but the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. He was treated harshly, but endured it humbly. He never said a word. 
Like a lamb about to be slaughtered, like a sheep about to be sheared, he never said a word. He was arrested and sentenced and led off to die, and no one cared about his fate. He was put to death for the sins of the people, although he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. He was numbered with the sinners, yet he himself bore the sin of many. The prophetic predictions in this one section of Isaiah all came true. Now the skeptics, when the scrolls were initially found in these caves, when they're initially found, they were quick to say this, oh, now we'll see. So you've had these manuscripts that are dated 900 years afterwards. We know the dating now of these, 150 years earlier. Now we'll see whether or not the manuscripts you have were actually correctly copied all throughout. And over and over and over, everything was exactly the same. The Bible is all about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. 60 major prophecies in specific detail naming places and unique events surrounding the coming Messiah. But for our purposes this morning, the focus is on the predictions of Jesus and his death. So he was predicted here in Isaiah 53 that he'd be arrested with trumped up crimes. He'd be beaten. Everybody would despise him. Everybody would leave him. Then willingly, he would be led to his own slaughter where he would be pierced through. And the Messiah himself would know that he was paying the ransom penalty for all the selfishness of humanity. These were all predicted in Isaiah 53, and every one of them came true. The cross is the central piece of the Bible. It's all about it in the Old Testament, and it's all about it in the New Testament. So why is it so important for us? Why is the cross of Christ so central for us? Let me explain it to you. Every human being is pre-wired with an internal system of right and wrong. We all are, every one of us. To survive, we need food, and we need water, and we need oxygen. To thrive, every human being needs love. We all know this. The Bible says every human being has a general sense of right and wrong. Every person you meet out there in the business place, in your neighborhoods, they all have a general understanding of right and wrong. This is clear in Romans 2. This is what it says. When outsiders, he's talking about secular people, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by instinct. They show that God's law is something not alien, imposed on them from without, but woven into the very fabric of their creation. There is something deep within us that echoes God's yes and no, his right and wrong. That's Romans chapter 2. The Bible is essentially saying here, if you want some evidence for God, look internally, look internally. Isn't there a sense in which inside of you, when you do something selfish, you know you did something wrong. And when you do something unselfish, you know you did something right. We know this internally. It's God's law that's written on our hearts. Where did that come from? Did you decide that to happen inside of you? Can you turn off that switch? You can't. We are hardwired that way. Can you shut off the guilt when you do something unloving or when you do something wrong? You can't shut it off. So why did God pre-wire us this way? Because love is his key characteristic. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 of the Bible says, God is love. He is love. 
And if God is love, then we ought to expect him to create human beings with a general understanding of love. And one would also expect any communication God would give to human beings to be about love. And so Jesus confirms this in Matthew chapter 22. He says, the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul. And the second commandment is to love others. And then Jesus said this, on these two commands depend the whole Bible. It's all about love. But even without the Bible, as we read from Romans 2, we all have this general understanding of love, have this general understanding of right and wrong. But humanity has chosen to be unloving. No one here can say that in their past they've not chosen to do this. And every one of us have been hurt by unloving actions of other people. So why do we do this? Why do we do that? Because although humanity can love at times, without God, all humanity will ultimately live their lives for themselves. At the end, ultimately, yes, we can love. Yes, the people that are out there that you bump shoulders with, yes, they can love. But all humanity will ultimately live their lives for themselves. We are selfish people to the core. So God had to fix this. He had to fix it. And he did this by coming to the earth. By coming to the earth, taking on human form in the person of Jesus Christ. And he had to fix two things. First of all, Jesus came to the earth to teach and to demonstrate love in his own life. And don't confuse emotionalism with love. That's Hollywood. And the Bible defines love as self-sacrifice. The problem with humanity is that no one can love like God. Nobody can. And Jesus knew it. This is why Jesus, when he came to the earth, his foundational message and his first words out of his mouth, as we spoke about last week, was what? Repent. Repent and believe. Because all of you are living for yourselves, is what he was saying. He told everybody this because every single human being is guilty of it. And we know this. Every person here in this room has a selfish resume, unloving actions that we want kept hidden. And Jesus said that we will all have to pay for those actions unless you believe in him. So why would belief in Jesus take away the guilt for being selfish and unloving? This ties into the second reason Jesus came, and that's to pay the ransom penalty for all the things we've done wrong. He firstly came to show us who God is, how we are to love him, how we are to love God and love others. The second reason he came is he had to take care of all of our selfish crimes, all of our, our, of our loving actions. Our resume of selfish and loving actions does not go away over time. Time doesn't heal that. They are attached to who we are because we did them. But Jesus chose to, pay, chose to pay that penalty for all of our crimes. He did this through the greatest act of self-sacrifice ever done. And of course, that was his ransom death on a cross. And because Jesus was perfect, he could pay that ransom penalty for all humanity. And he did so by, again, dying on the cross for all of our unloving actions. Now, in order to accept this ransom penalty of Jesus, we have to believe in him. This means that we talk to God and we tell him that we're sorry for all the things that we've done. And then you ask him for his forgiveness. And then finally, you tell him that you're no longer going to live your life for yourself. For from here on in, you'll live the way that God wants you to. This is exactly what all believers in this room have done. 
And the Bible says that all who believe in Jesus will immediately, immediately be taken to be with him when we die. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I said that there may be some people here who have never heard this description of God before. And if you are here today and you're hearing this message for the first time or understanding it maybe for the first time, I can tell you what's happening inside of you. God is drawing you to himself. That's what he does. He wants you to believe in him and confess yourself as actions so that you can be freed from your sin. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine and uh, he did exactly this. And as he's describing it to me on the phone, he was describing as he finished talking to God and as he was in tears on the phone, he is saying that, you know, he's now with God. He's now connected to him. And he described this sense of peace that came over him. And the sense of peace that comes over you happens when we tell God and we confess all the things that we've done wrong and we believe in him, he takes it away. And in that moment, he takes it and pins it back to the cross and says, the penalty that you deserved at this point is now taken away from you. My friend says, I, don't, I can't explain it, but there's this peace that came over me. <coughs> and of course, there's a peace that comes over you. For those of you who are Christians in this room, it came over you because it's gone. Your resume of unloving, selfish crimes is gone. And Jesus pinned it to the cross. What we deserved, according to, uh, in, the, in the book of Psalms, what we deserved for our penalties for what we've done, God has not acted toward us in those ways in, in, in which we have deserved. But he's taken our sins and pinned them to the cross. As far as the east is from the west, they are finished, they are gone. Now, if you are here this morning, and this is the first time you're really understanding this, um, I'd, I'd like you to come talk to me afterwards. And I want to explain this to you a little bit more. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we know that the cross is central. We know the cross is central, and it's a simple message. It's a simple message that Jesus wants us to tell everybody. I was talking with, uh, with Gerald uh, when I first met him. And one of the things that Gerald said is he said for many years, nobody ever told him about Jesus Christ. And so now that's Gerald's mission. You meet Gerald, he'll tell you all about Jesus. And you want to bring a friend who doesn't know Jesus, bring him to Gerald, he'll tell. Because Gerald said, nobody told me. Why would nobody tell me about him? It's the most incredible message, most life transforming, changing message to ever be embraced by a human being. And why would you not tell me? Why would we not tell other people? Paul says it's not about craftiness of speech. It's not about how presentation. It's not about getting into the right illustration. We talk about our views and opinions with people all the time. Why would we not tell them about Jesus Christ? That's the only event in history that is worth speaking about. That's the only event that has transformed our lives. And that's the only event that's going to transform, transform anyone else's life. And we don't have to worry about how we say it because the spirit, what he does is he takes our message that we're speaking and it's not about how you said it, some kind of crafty way, illustrate. it's not about that. It's about just sharing the message of Jesus Christ and he takes that message and he penetrates it through to the heart of who these people are. That's the message of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so central for us as followers of Jesus. It transformed us. We're new people. We're no longer products of this world and the wisdom of this world. We're now part of the family of God. And it's so central and it's so vital. And it's something that's not to be self-contained. It's something that is meant to be shared. 
All right, I have a few lessons for you here that I want to put before you. Where is it? It's coming. All three of them, all at once. Uh, first of all, sharing the Christian message is not complicated. I, um, growing up in the church, um, we're always told these are the things you've got to make sure you, you share every time. And you've got to get them to this illustration, the bridge, or stuff like this. It's, it's just simple. It's about Jesus and him crucified. Whereby all Christians, by way of their own conversion, can share it without fear of needing to present it just right. There is no fear of having to present it just right. You just talk about Jesus and him dying on the cross and why, and why he did it. And by the fact that you're a Christian here, you are qualified to share it. Just like that woman at the well. She immediately turned and she <coughs> told everybody. She couldn't contain it. Secondly, the coming of Jesus was, pro was a prophesied rescue mission. It's the central message in the Bible. It was a prophesied rescue mission to free people from their unloving way of life and selfish crimes of the past through their belief in him. It's a rescue mission. And Jesus came as a rescue mission to free us from all of our selfish actions. That's the message of the cross. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53, fulfilled in the days that Jesus was on this planet, and we talk about it all the time, and we've talked about it ever since. And then finally, becoming a Christian is all about the cross of Jesus. Believing he has paid the ransom penalty for your selfish and loving actions, talking to God about this, and asking him to forgive you. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. It's really quite simple. I put a passage on there, um, Luke chapter 23, verse 33 uh, to 43. This last week, uh, we were speaking about this um, in a study group I have with um, Owen and uh, Caleb and, um, and, um, and Aiden. And we were talking about it. And, and as you walk through, it's a thief on the cross, the story of the thief on the cross. And he starts out as a criminal. Uh, he's on the cross and, and it describes him as a criminal. And by the end of the passage, it says that Jesus said to him, this day will be with me in paradise. And so what happened? He starts out as a criminal and he ends up at the end of this short dialogue with Jesus as going to be with him for all eternity. What happened? It's a story of somebody who gives their life to Jesus Christ. If you're worried about how do I present it and, and the cross of Jesus Christ and you want it in a story form, that's a, an incredible story to get it from. Luke chapter 23, 33 to 43. And if you want to talk to anybody more about that, talk to Aiden Owen. Caleb or myself, we've just gone through it, and it's a fantastic story. It explains just all the essentials of what it is to be become a follower of Jesus. All right. The central message of Jesus, cross, of Jesus Christ, the cross and him crucified. What do you think about all the stuff we talked about? Predictive prophecy, um, the simplistic message of Jesus, uh, the fact that we are all qualified. Every Christian here is qualified to share that message. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information on our church or this recording, please contact us at www.pineridgehouse.com.